0: Grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. The text this morning is from the gospel according to Saint John, the second chapter. You may be seated. My dear friends in Christ, Jesus is the bridegroom of the church. Men, I think, get a little uncomfortable thinking about this, especially today, when it would seem to imply that we're married to another man, but let's put your minds at ease. The church is the collective, it's the collective, uh, excuse me, the collective bride of Christ. And so you are not married individually to Jesus, but you are married to him through the church now this gets a little confusing, of course, because when we talk about the one body that's made out of marriage, and then, of course, you think of the consummation of the marriage where the man and the woman know each other intimately and become one flesh. Here's the deal. Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And he does consummate his relationship with the church, not through that sexual act that we're aware of in terms of marriage, but in a more intimate act, in the heavenly act of making us a part of himself. And he does this first through the word. And that word then is attached to his means of grace. And so for most of us, this coming together as one body with Christ, our bridegroom, comes first through the waters of baptism. Then it comes to us, not just in the reading and the preaching and the studying of the Word, but then also through the sacrament of the altar. First, the Word gives us faith, then it gives us strength. It brings us to the day of everlasting life when we find our life in the body of Jesus Christ. This is much more intimate than a husband and wife can share together. Now, this is the way that Christ brings His his church from all times and from all places into Himself to be one with her forever. Theologians call this the mystical union. And there's a whole lot that we can talk about with that. I mean, you could probably have an entire series of sermons just on every single aspect of that mystical union. But it's enough to say that Mystically, which is not magically, but mysteriously, Christ uses his word and his sacraments to join you together with him forever. So understanding that Christ is the bridegroom, let's ask here from the text. Who is the master of the feast speaking to when he tastes the good wine? Now, if you follow along in the story, of course, your first inclination is to go, well, he's speaking to the bridegroom of that wedding that Jesus is attending. But I've got to tell you, John is one smart cookie and he loves what we call double entendres, where he says one thing but means two things by it. For instance, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and asks all those questions that he has as a secret believer in him, Jesus says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, what, am I supposed to crawl back up into my mother that I might come out of her again? But the word Jesus uses, the the word that John says there in the Greek is anothen, which means two things, born again. And born from above. And those two things are tied into that single word. And so John is using that word to portray a reality in such a way that Nicodemus would get it and still yet have to seek it by faith. But John uses it in a way that you, enlightened by the Spirit, you would understand what he's saying. So when John is telling us about this first miracle, this first sign that Jesus performs, he's not intending that you just look at the idea of, well, Jesus did this nice thing with water and wine, and that's great. But instead, that you see Jesus, as we just sang, Jesus is the guest and the host. He's both. We sometimes say the host and the meal. Jesus is both these things for you. So when the master of the feast tastes this wine, it says he goes to the bridegroom and he says, you know, everyone gets everyone drunk on the good stuff first. And then when they run out of that good stuff, then they don't notice the bad stuff. But you save the good stuff for last. You know, I don't drink very much anymore. All my diet stuff, but I enjoyed beer. I liked a good beer, but the honest truth is, it doesn't really matter how good the beer is. You're going to drink the bad stuff. If you can get down two swigs of a bad beer, you can finish the rest of the can. It's just how it goes. The master of the feast has been brought the good wine. And now having tasted it, realized that the stuff that usually would have been seen as good was really nothing but mere swill compared to what he now had in his cup. There has never been a wine like this before. Never had any palate tasted anything like this. But there is a wine like this now. And that's what we have here today in front of us. Now, granted, Jesus hasn't turned water for purification into wine in front of us, but he has taken the wine that we humbly bring into this place, and he has made it greater than what it is by attaching his word to it. And by his very word, which is very conspicuously absent in the text, by his very word in front of us, all of a sudden this is greater than anything you've ever had. Now, granted, our church doesn't have money coming out of the wazoo. We can't afford the very best wine, but we still bring that which is humble, that which is much like the water that's in these purification jars. And yet Jesus makes it magnificent by bringing his blood in this place. Now, notice in the reading today, Jesus doesn't speak a word over it. As far as we know, he he doesn't say poof and there it is. He doesn't wave his hands. He doesn't do anything. But by the very nature of his being God, the water already knows what to do. The water becomes wine in such a way, and we'll never understand how this can be, but it's like Jesus is commanding all of the universe, and the universe bends to his will whether the universe hears it or not. But here in the supper, the will of Christ is not just inside of him. His will is in your ears. You hear the word because he's attached a promise to the supper. That every time we have it, there's something amazing going on here. Every time. And I'm going to challenge you all, and I don't expect any of you to do this, but go to Menards or go to Home Depot, buy one of those big buckets that catches rainwater from your gutters. Start filling that thing up and wait and see how long it takes for that water to become white. It's not going to happen, right? I mean, could it happen? Sure. Are we expecting it to happen? Of course not. And as long as you wait, the statistical likelihood of that happening is nil not going to happen. You have no promise attached to that water, but you have a promise of God here. You have a promise by the guest, by the host, by the meal himself. That here, there is something greater than what you can see. Here is the sweet wine in which comes to you the blood of Christ. Here is the sweet bread, if we can call it bread, that brings with it the body of Christ. His word of promise is here. Not just in some miracle that he performs. Now, John does use a word here. Doesn't really mean miracle. John uses the word semaron, which means sign. See, miracles are those breakings of that natural wall to let the supernatural in. A person is healed of cancer miraculously out of nowhere. It's a miracle. Someone is saved by mere millimeters from a car accident. A miracle. But what Jesus does here, while it's certainly miraculous, John calls it not a miracle, but a sign. And what does a sign do? It tells you something, right? You see a stop sign, you stop. You see a green light, you go. You see a yellow sign with kids running on it with a little ball in front of them, and you know that children are going to be around, likely playing outside, and you should watch out for them. A sign tells you what to do. (coughs) And the sign that Jesus performs in this first miracle, the first thing is to point to him as the coming, as the promised Messiah, the one who provides for his people. All the people there at that wedding should have seen that sign and believed. And it's likely, of course, that that didn't happen because they weren't reading The sign, it was private. But you see the sign performed here in the supper. It is public. It's in front of everyone. And so, you believe that this Jesus has come for you. In our lives, as we struggle, as we struggle with sin, as we struggle with faith, as we struggle with doubt, as we struggle with not understanding everything, as we struggle with not believing things, we are still led to this place that we would cry out with that hurting father, with the son who is afflicted by a demon, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now there might be a ton of different things that have brought us to this very moment, whatever they may be, but you can be comforted because the sign here for you is there because Jesus speaks. And he speaks his word of promise to you with this supper, that your sins are forgiven, and that you indeed will be strengthened to see the day of resurrection. He uses these humble gifts that we've brought to the church. It used to be that in the service, and the church would bring the bread and the wine into the church. Someone would provide it. That's actually what the offertory was for. You know that song that we sing, depending on what service we're in, right before or after the offering. That's when all of the gifts would be brought up, not just for the church in terms of our offering, our our money, but also it's when the bread and the wine would be brought up that would be used for communion. That's the place that would happen nowadays. What we do is we give our offering, of course, and the church goes out and buys bread and wine and provides it. But there are still churches that do it as the ancient church used to. The point is, however it's brought in, these are humble gifts that you've given to this place. And Christ attaches his word to your gift, a promise, that there is something greater here For you. It's really easy, I think, to forget what the supper is. It is. It's easy to take it for granted. But it's here that every time we gather together in this kind of way around his word, we also gather around his sacrament so that we know that Jesus is for you, that he has come to you you, that he has saved you, that he forgives you, and that he has promised you something greater than all these things that we're going through in our life, greater than sin and greater than doubt. He's promised you everlasting life. We don't just have this ephemeral faith, uh, a faith that you can't pin down, something that's really little more than a feeling. Instead, you have faith in your ears and in your eyes and on your tongues. You have faith that everything that your Jesus has come to you and given you what he's promised. And this supper, this supper here is a down payment on the idea that everything will have even a greater fulfillment. This supper, as wonderful as this is, and this is incredible, this is better than anything else you could experience in this world. This supper is merely a taste of the feast to come. This is now as great as this is. This is like the good wine served before the water made wine wine. You can have faith because you've been given a substantive thing to hold on to. And we can see His promises are true here, where He said, this is My body and this is My blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what this is all about. It's a mystical way in which Christ comes to you and speaks to you. Jesus doesn't speak to the bridegroom In the story, he doesn't welcome people to the feast or anything like that. Instead, he speaks to you today through word and sacrament. Christ is the bridegroom, and this is a wedding feast. This is greater than anything else we can eat or drink this day or any day because this is greater than just food alone. This is food that leads to everlasting life. And you only get that if you're part of the bride, the church. And you only get it if the bride has been taken by the bridegroom. That's how we're joined with Christ. So turn your eyes to Christ, my friends. Be like the disciples today. Believe in him. Believe in him who has given you this gift so that you may know that Christ is for you and that Christ is with you, and in a very real way, even today, Christ is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.